When I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, <coughs> and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Luke chapter 19, 19, verses 41 to 44. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love, your compassion, your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercies new every morning. Thank you that what matters to us matters to you. And thank you, God, that you want to speak afresh to your people this morning. And we pray that through your words and when it's combined with your spirit, uh, that you would inspire us, encourage us, challenge us and move us on with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So fresh from the diocese of Chichester's clergy conference where over 300 clergy from the diocese gathered together in Kent University, I want to talk to you this morning about disappointment. (laughs) Not in the conference. Uh, It was a very, very good conference and it was actually very, very good to get all the clergy together. I guess uh, some of you know that that we, we face a challenge in this diocese geographically. It's a huge, wide diocese and it's very hard for us to kind of have opportunities uh, for all the clergy to get together. So the conference conference was really great. The teaching was amazing. It was inspirational. It was restful. It was all the things that I hoped it would be uh, and more. But the reason I want to talk about disappointment is because what you recognize at a conference like that is the breadth of the Church of England. You realize that actually we're part of a movement that that stretches uh, geographically but also theologically uh, and in how it worships and in how uh, it engages with God and in how it teaches about things of the world. And you realize that what comes with such breadth 
uh, quite often can be a level of disappointment in the sense that we all want different things. And what a lot of the conversations we had around dinner and all these kind of things, all with a positive spin on them, don't worry, we weren't sitting there moaning, we weren't at all, it was actually really joyful. Uh, But one of the things we recognise as leaders, and and one of the things that was an early lesson that somebody taught me, is that when you're in leadership, whatever you do, you'll be disappointing somebody. And it's very important to accept that if you lead any kind of business, if you lead anything, even if you lead a small group or anything like that, Whatever you do, you will be disappointing somebody, particularly within the breadth of church, within the life and worship and teaching of of the church that is so broad and wide. And I think that's the beauty of it, that actually it encompasses uh, all of God's people, regardless of their background. And often when we have something that we struggle with, something that we disagree with, something that we think isn't quite how we think it should be or how we respond or how we would choose to do it, then it tends to express itself in disappointment. We feel disappointed that it's that way. Uh, Or we feel this sense of kind of discontent that we'd rather things were done differently to how they're being done. And that can uh, play out locally in your local church and it can play out nationally as you look at the decisions the church makes nationally and then also globally as well as we're part of a worldwide uh, church that is made up of people. That's the problem, it's made up of people. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Uh, I heard it said once that if you think you found the perfect church, you've ruined it by walking into it. Uh, Because the church is made up of messy, broken people. Because as we've been saying these past few weeks, that's all that God has to choose from. And when we have this disappointment, when we have this sense of discontent, it's normally in one of three areas. It could be about, and this is a bit of a theology lesson, sorry. uh, But it can be in about an area of ecclesiology. That is basically how the church worships, uh, what style of worship we have, what type of songs we sing, uh, how much liturgy we have or don't have. It's basically how the church worships together, how it views worship, how it does worship. And we can be disappointed about ways in which certain aspects of the church may function. And then there's uh, theology, uh, which is basically what the church teaches, what it believes, what it believes about the Trinity, perhaps, or the resurrection, or what happened on the cross, all these kind of things that we may have a huge difference of opinion on. And we may be disappointed by what some churches teach and what some churches don't teach, and all those kind of things. That, that will just play out. And the third thing is about practice, which is how we respond to what we worship, to who we worship, how we respond as a church to the issues in the world and the things that the world is facing. And there will always be something in one of those three things uh, that we will be disappointed about. Disappointed about how the church is handling those things, dealing with those things, teaching those things, or living those things. Now what has that got to do with Nehemiah? What has that got to do with this opening passage where we we read the beginning of Nehemiah's account? We learnt last week that this story of Nehemiah sits within a bigger picture of God wanting to restore the people of Jerusalem back to Jerusalem and the wave of leaders that he sends to do that uh, and Nehemiah is one of them and so we have the beginning of Nehemiah's account here and you can see it's written as an autobiography, he's writing in in the first person and so this is his account of that. And we see this beautiful parallel in this passage between this and the passage we heard from the Gospels as well of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. We recognise, as we said last week, 
that although they were trying to get the people back to Jerusalem, that really wasn't the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem was hearts being turned to God, uh, and they hadn't done that. And so the problems were still there even when Jesus was there thousands of years later. But Nehemiah does something with his disappointment that I think is absolutely incredible and can teach us so much about how we handle disappointment when we hear about the way things are, either in our church or in the national church or global church throughout the world. When we hear about how God's people are being treated or how they're responding to life in this world. And what we learn from Nehemiah is that he is, we learn this a bit later in the sermon series, that he's a cupbearer to the king. Uh, That is actually a very respected and very high position. It's a very important position. So therefore we can assume that Nehemiah is living a fairly comfortable and a fairly good life. Uh, And he probably wasn't prepared or expecting it to be interrupted. He was probably quite happy with the way things were for him. He was a devout worshipper of God, a real man of prayer, as we were exploring last week. And then he gets together with some friends of his, and they report to him what's been going on in Jerusalem. They report to him what Ezra's been trying to do, restoring the people, been saying that it's not really working. And then he begins to explain the destruction of the walls and what it looks like and what's been going on. And Nehemiah... Uh, is moved to his core and becomes deeply, deeply disappointed with what he hears. He becomes really discontent with the way things are. But what does he do with that disappointment? Well, the first thing we recognise is that he listens well to those who are in the know. He doesn't assume. He doesn't make snap judgments. He doesn't make quick uh, comments. He doesn't moan about it. He listens to those who are bringing the report, and he listens well to the full story. Uh, And it's clear that he has great respect for the people that he's listening to, that they're people he's close to, but he's listening to what they have to say about the state of Jerusalem before he makes his own judgments and views. Secondly, and we're going to be looking at this in a couple of weeks' time in, in more detail, but he acknowledges his own personal struggle with the disappointment that he's facing. It says that he mourns and he weeps. There's a real great sense of self-awareness about that, that he recognises this is grieving me. What I'm hearing is disappointing me. I am disappointed by this and I'm feeling discontent about this and I don't like it. And he's perfectly happy to acknowledge that. Remember, he's writing this. This isn't written about him. He has chosen to write how much it hurt. And we're going to be exploring that a little bit more in a couple of weeks' time. So he recognises his personal struggle. And then this is a mark of Nehemiah. We see this a lot throughout the book. He gets on his knees and he prays. And it's not just a quick, Lord, help the people of Jerusalem prayer. It's not just a, should we build the walls prayer. It's not just a quick, glib prayer. He prays and fasts, he says, for days. He really seeks after the heart of God to make sure that the idea that he's brewing, the thing that he's thinking, the thing that he's feeling disappointed about is also on the heart of God. Because if if this is just a nice idea to go and rebuild a wall because Nehemiah is disappointed, then that's just not going to work. 
this has to have God's fingerprints on it. This has to be something that is hurting the heart of God as well, so that he's working in partnership with the God that he worships. And so he makes sure that the disappointment isn't just his disappointment. He seeks God to make sure it's one that God shares as well. And we can know fairly confidently that it will be in this particular case because this isn't just a case of rebuilding walls. This, for Nehemiah, is a matter of justice. I read this quote earlier this week, which I thought uh, was pretty good. Broken walls, meant for the people of Jerusalem, frightening insecurity, negligible commercial development, and serious economic deprivation... But the depressed people within the city were infinitely more important to Nehemiah than its shattered walls. Because Nehemiah spent time in the presence of God and he sought God about the situation that he was disappointed about, he realised it was more than just walls. This was a matter of justice for the people of God. And we can know that when it's a matter of justice, it's very high up on God's agenda. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. God seeks justice way above anything else. Justice is much higher up God's agenda than the style of worship we use. Justice is much higher up God's agenda than where we worship. It's a huge thing. And and Nehemiah recognises as he comes into the presence of God, as he prays about the sense of disappointment he has about the state of the people in Jerusalem, he realises there's a bigger picture. God enlarges the vision and his disappointment moves from being just disappointment to what is called often a holy discontent. That sense of actually, no, this is something's really not right here. And and, and God almost touches that disappointment and he turns it into that holy discontent. And then Nehemiah's response is absolutely incredible because he doesn't just moan about it. He doesn't just say, oh, things are not the way that they should be and complain to the king. He doesn't just go to the king and say, king, the, the wars in Jerusalem, they need sorting out. Go and sort them out, please. Send somebody to sort them out. That's not Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah's response after seeking God and praying and fasting is he goes to the king and he says, this is the state of the wars in Jerusalem. I want to go and do something about it, king. What will you do to help me? How can you help me to do this for the people of Jerusalem? And he has moved into this position of partnership with the king, with the leader of the time. And and it's not him telling the king how to do it, it's him working in partnership. And so it is with God as well that when we have that sense of holy discontent, we could just pray, God, fix it. Or we could come on our knees before God and say, God, I want to see this situation changed. How are you going to help me to make a difference? I heard a song the other day that says, Why sit and wait for a miracle to come when you can be one? What that means is, can you be the answer to the prayer that you're praying about the thing you're disappointed about? If you're disappointed about a situation in the world, are you expecting God to fix it? Or is there a call, a sense of holy discontent for you to do something about it with him? If you're feeling disappointed and and disillusioned with something in the church and you think it's a really genuine holy discontent, then what are you doing to bring about change? When I was first um, thinking about ministry, 
within the life of church. I was in an Anglican church, uh, and I was thinking about the fact that God might be calling me to some kind of full-time ministry. But it was at a time when I was really struggling with the state of the Church of England. <laughs> I'll be honest. I was, I was really, really struggling with it. Uh, and there was a part of me, I'd like to say it was a small part, but it was actually quite a big part of me, that just thought, let's just leave the Church of England, go and train, train as a free church minister, and just, you know, just, just cut my losses. And then I had a sense from God of saying, if everybody did that, would it ever change? If those people who are feeling discontent with the way things are just run away, will it ever change? And then I went to college at Trinity, having accepted that call of God to the Church of England, and was encouraged to find 45 other people in my year with that same sense of discontent and that same desire to see change. And for a huge percentage of them, it was the passion and the desire to show and to see that the Holy Spirit is moving within the Church of England, that he is at work, that you don't need to break away to find him. And it's that beautiful sense of call, which came with a sense of sacrifice as well. But there's something about Nehemiah that he's working with the king, that he's not expecting the king to fix it. And so there's a number of things we need to do when we feel disappointment and, and we're just feeling that sense of discontent. The first thing we need to do is to make sure we listen. Listen to the people who are involved. If we don't like, let's say for example, there's a, a church that you visit and you don't like the way that it's done, listen to the people who worship there. Find out why they worship the way that they worship. You know, that was the wonderful thing about the conference, is having dinner with people who were so vastly different to me. Uh, ecclesiology and theology-wise, they worship completely differently, but just to hear their story of what God has done in their life and to see how that has impacted the way that they worship and the things that they follow about Jesus. The second thing we need to do is what uh, Nehemiah did, I believe, when he prayed, and that is to make sure that we search ourselves or ask God to help search us as well, to make sure that the sense of disappointment that we have isn't just my problem. Nine times out of ten, the disappointment you have will be more your problem than anybody else's. It's just how we function humanly, unfortunately. <laughs> we, we just, it's just the way we work. And what we need to do is make sure that the disappointment that we face is not only our problem, but a problem that God shares as well, so that it can move from just disappointment to holy discontent. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't share your concerns and don't share your worries and don't share your niggles, because if we don't know that something's causing a problem, then we can't do anything to change it. But what we are saying is make sure that before you do, you've done that whole search me, O God, and know me, See if there be any wicked way within me. Make sure this disappointment is not just mine, my problem, how I want it to be, and that this is something uh, of God. And then we make sure we pray within that, around that, surrounding all of that, we make sure we pray and we're seeking God in that and that we're bringing it to God. You know that whole phrase that we've been saying a lot recently, if it matters to you, it matters to God. So even if it's a small disappointment, talk to your father about it. Talk to him before you talk to anybody else. Share your concerns with him before you complain to the person involved. 
Find out what he has to say about it. Find out how he wants you to respond in grace and love and forgiveness with all those things that we see in Jesus. And here's the important bit, and I'm going to confess I've been pretty rubbish at this recently. When we face disappointment, particularly with the way that things are done in church, and I'm not necessarily talking about here, this is church with a capital C here, we need to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. You see, we can get really distracted by disappointments. We can get really distracted by the fact that things aren't happening the way that I would like them to happen or the way that we think they should be done. And we can lose sight of the main thing. What was wonderful about this conference was actually 300 clergy gathering together in worship, focusing on the main thing that is Jesus. And, you know, we, we can get so bogged down with ministry and... and, and you know, I'm really praying for my brothers and sisters who serve in the Church of England, who don't have administrators, who don't have, you know, some of the things that we're really blessed to have here. Uh, and it can be so distracting. And we can take our eyes off the main thing, which is Jesus. Uh, and disappointment can really do that, because we can focus on the thing that's disappointing us. We focus on the thing that's wrong rather than on the God who can do something about it and the God who can stand with us in it. And we recognise that we're all different and that's a wonderful thing and we celebrate that within the life of the church, particularly within the life of the Church of England. That breadth is such a blessing and such a joy, but we all worship the same Jesus. He's the main thing. And we've got to make sure that whatever we do when we gather together, he remains the main thing in our worship, in our prayer, in everything we do. And so we see from Nehemiah, and you'll see as we go through this book, and if you haven't sat down and read it yet, I really encourage you to, because what you notice is that every time there's disappointment, Nehemiah gets on his knees and he makes sure that the main thing is still the main thing. And he makes sure he's not doing it his own way, he's not doing it the way he thinks it should be done, but he's doing it the way that God wants it done. We need to keep the main thing the main thing in everything we do there will be things that happen in church that you disagree with there will be things that happen in church that you're disappointed by there may be things that you have a holy discontent about but in all of those things don't let them distract you from the main thing that is our worship of Jesus the one who has done everything for us and the main thing really is making him known to those who don't know him. Because as disappointed as we might be by individual things, we have a hope that is secure. We have life in all its fullness. And there are people outside these doors who don't even know who he is. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And seek God in our disappointments as well as our joys. Amen.